Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn, so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. Creating something new is never a linear process. There are ups and downs along the way. However, there are striking similarities in the process of different types of creative work. And understanding these similarities enables us to make the best of each aspect of the creative process. To discuss this, I'm joined by an artist who teaches her students to embrace all aspects of the creative process. Professor Ginny Yu is an internationally recognized artist and professor of visual arts at the University of Ottawa. Her practice is an inquiry into the medium of painting as a means of trying to understand the world around us. Her work, presented at the 56th Venice Biennale, addresses themes about migration, which resonate with larger political concerns globally. Ginny works simultaneously to scrutinize conventions and to explore possibilities within the medium of painting, oscillating between the fields of abstract painting and the object. Her work has been shown widely, including exhibitions in Canada, Germany, Japan, Italy, Portugal, South Korea, the UK, and the USA. Thank you very much, Ginny, for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to talk about the creative process. And uh, you're a visual artist and you teach visual arts at university. Um, But as we discussed, the creative process and the process of creating something new has a lot of similarities, regardless of what field you are creating something new in. So can you tell me a little bit about how you see similarities in the creative process between fields? So regardless if we're talking about creating a new program, creating a new art, creating a new technology, can you tell me maybe some of the similarities you see in that? Well, I think this kind of similarities came uh, to the fore in our last discussion when we, you know, talked about this, uh, you know, creative process and you you kind of brought out that there are similarities in different creative processes. And I certainly know my field and how I create and all that in the, uh, in the arts, but, you know, I would think that it's similar in other fields, but, you know, you tell me if your experience of creative process is also, if there, if you see any similarities and maybe, you know, the listeners also can maybe empathize with some processes and, so maybe what I can do is kind of like outline maybe certain elements of the uh, creative processes that I could maybe define. And that also came from, uh, you know, discussion with you last time. And so <laughs> because I saw in our in our discussion, I did see a lot of similarities in the way not only the way you help your students understand the creative process, but also in, in your own. And uh, and I know from my experience, I mean, whether it be back in my engineering days, solving a difficult math problem, or writing a new piece, a completely new um, piece of writing, they're very different. But there are a lot of similarities in that process of how I I go through it. So I am looking forward to hear more about how you experience that and what your process is. And also how you teach your students, because you have a unique way of teaching your students, you don't just teach the subject, but you also delve into their process. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Um, so I think maybe I could begin by sort of talking about how I go about making something, um, okay. making art. For example, I think what I do is basically trying to understand who I am in this world. And I think that is the beginning starting point. And I think a lot of uh, different creative processes also um, might have similar starting point mm-hmm. where, you know, we think about who we are in this world, what we're doing, and then trying to sort of understand and perhaps do something about it. <laughs> and so uh, it's really being open to understanding the world around me mm-hmm. and then kind of thinking about who I am and my place. And, you know, lately I've been thinking more specifically about 
the place that I'm living and working in, which is partly Algonquin uh, Anishinaabe land, unceded uh, territory of Algonquin Anishinaabe peoples, and also Berlin. Um, and lately, I've been, you know, thinking more intensely about the land of Algonquin Anishinaabe people, and you know what kind of things that I'm doing there. Um, and Can you just uh, be more specific for people who are not from Canada. What does that mean? Where is that land? Right. So, um, so I am based between Ottawa and Berlin, and Ottawa being the capital of uh, Canada, but sitting on the unceded um, land of the Indigenous people, mm -hmm. um, whose uh, names are Algonquin Anishinaabe people, and so it is quite ironic that the capital of Canada, which is a colonial project in itself, um, is seated on the unceded territory. So that a territory that does not belong to um, Canada. And so I've been kind of thinking and reflecting on and learning uh, what that means and what it is um, and the history of Canada, I guess, and also the history of the land on which I live and work. Can you describe a little bit for those who haven't seen your art, can you describe what kind of artwork you create so we have a bit more of an idea and the, and of course people uh, can look at the, the type of art you do on your website which is in the show notes but just give a description maybe of the type of art that you create mm -hmm. um so the type of art that i work i guess you could uh summarize it as abstract art or abstract conceptual art um my practice is based in painting um and so i think through um, issues and through life through the medium of painting it's a much better understanding as well for people to see it and and it's on your website so uh, it's definitely worth taking a look yeah, and experiencing is also a bit much different than just looking. But, you know, I think short of experiencing uh, in person, sure, on the website, there are some pictures. Yeah, very, very interesting. Uh, and I hope I can experience it at some point, because, of course, experiencing it is really important for art. And, and mm -hmm. also hearing what the artist was thinking, it makes such a huge difference to see art once you hear the story. So thank you for sharing that. So you create art, but speaking about the creative process, before we dig into the separate parts of it, the separate steps, because often the creative process, unless you're familiar with the process you go through, it feels quite isolating and new. You think you're the first one to really have writer's block. You think you're the first one to be afraid of the blank page. A lot of different things. Can you give me the overall feeling that you have about the creative process? Um, there are, I think I go through many different feelings de depending on different stages. Mm -hmm. And for sure, the beginning um, is quite dark. You say isolating, but I also think that it could be isolating because you're there on your own. And also you're kind of walking in the dark. And so there is this feeling of perhaps uncertainty, Yes. Uh, feeling of not knowing what you're doing and fear of that comes with not knowing. Mm -hmm. But, and of course, I think also, you know, different processes come in different projects. Yes. But um, I think what unifies is kind of this first feeling of kind of this uncertainty mm -hmm. on walking into a territory that is unknown yes. and that you're about to discover. But with the fear, I think there is also an excitement mm -hmm. of this potential of finding something that you have searched for. Mm. And so it's kind of um, a mix of the two, a mix of the two at the very beginning. Yeah, that excitement is coming from the fact that you have gone through this many times and you know what's coming, I think, to some degree, because I, in teaching math to students um, in the past, I was always telling my students that you're in a fog at the beginning and you just need to take one little step at a time and trust mm -hmm. that the fog will lift and it does lift. Mm -hmm. But it, it's interesting you describing that same thing even now in creating your art. So, okay, mm -hmm. so you start out with that fear, but excitement at the same time, because you know that it will shift to another phase as well yeah it's like like it's like like going into an adventure mm -hmm. um you know you are a bit fearful because you don't really know the territory that you will be walking on and you know surprises that may uh await you mm -hmm. but 
you're also at the same time quite excited to take this adventure because of this unknown. Yeah. And so I think they kind of go hand in hand. And for sure, I mean, you know, I've been making work for the last 20 years or so. And so I do know that at some point I will come out or that I will abandon and which happens also, you know, but I also know the taste of that excitement and wonder Mm-hmm. once um you know i search for i once i find what i've been searching for mm-hmm. or that i find something that i did not know i was searching but that comes out mm-hmm. and so that kind of surprises i know that that could happen and so i think there's excitement but even having gone through so many years of creative processes i think in daily life, we go through these processes all the time. You know, I mean, you mm-hmm. talk about uh, teaching uh, students math. And so people who are of certain age, you know, uh, who have gone through education, I think would probably know this kind of excitement and fear yes. that is combined into one, you know, just having lived uh, life. Um, and I think it's just a matter of uh, perhaps just sitting down and realizing yes. that we do have that kind of fear and excitement that we know and that it's okay to go a little bit further out and you know just acknowledge and enjoy that feeling of uh, fear and excitement at the same time. Yes I think that is a very important thing to understand that there is a process to it uh, that has different stages and everybody experiences those so you you at least know a little bit what to expect so that's why we're we're talking about this. Now let's let's talk a little bit about the stages that you've identified. So in our discussions, you said that the key aspects of this creative process is one, to be open to all, uh, two, to reflect on both yourself and the world around you, three, to define the purpose of what you are creating, four, connecting with the sources, connecting sources rather, and five, confronting the uncomfortable. So can we go through that and, and dig a little bit deeper into those? Sure. Um, I think, you know, some of these, it, it doesn't always happen in the same way mm-hmm. or in the same order, but, you know, yes. I to go through those five that we have defined. Um, I think openness is really important in life, but also in creative processes, being open to be wrong, to being open to be, um, to receiving uh, things that are around us. So what does this look like? What does this, what do you do to try and be open to make sure that Mm. you're not closing off? How do you know? This is very difficult. Um, (laughs) And I'm finding it increasingly difficult as the, the societal atmosphere is becoming more and more polarized and me being open, opening up to the sides that I don't necessarily agree is I find it more and more difficult actually, but maybe what I can talk about is one work that I made in 2015 and, you know, give that as an example to be open. Mm -hmm. So I made this work called Don't They Ever Stop Migrating? And I presented it at the Venice Biennale in 2015. This was during the time when the so-called migration crisis was hitting uh, Europe's uh, door. And I was invited to have this solo exhibition in this oratorio um, as part of the Biennale. And this is a huge exhibition. The Biennale is is the pinnacle of of the arts, of being able to exhibit at the arts, which is fantastic. I was hugely honored and also extremely nervous to be presenting my work to the world stage um, Mm -hmm. at that scale. But I wanted to think about who am I conversing with, uh, with by presenting this work there? And what kind of place is it? What is Venice? What is Europe? And so then I started to think about this uh, so-called migration crisis. And what kind of struck me about um, how the events were unfolding back then in 2015, and I don't think it's very different now, nor it was very different before that, but the way that things that I was receiving information that struck me was uh, that um, this otherness that was very prevalent in treating 
migrants that were arriving in Europe uh, by boat uh, mainly. Um, how othered the migrants were. Um, and that kind of, you know, piqued my curiosity. Why were they being treated in such a way that um, they were perhaps diseased or, you know, they were just not the same kind of uh, people that uh, were living in Europe? So at this point, you didn't know what kind of art you were going to create. You were just being open to the news, to the movies, to your, you were opening to all sorts of different ideas. At this point, you had no idea what you're creating, correct? That's right. I mean, you know, I got this invitation and it, it's like totally carte blanche, you know, mm -hmm. it's like totally open to uh, me uh, to present something that matters to me that I hope uh, can relate uh, to the viewers. So in a way you were open to what kind, what is resonating with you at the time? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So being open to like, what, um, what do I find relevant to be mm -hmm. talking about now that I feel that I can talk about and that I my voice might be valuable for of art and you know society because mm. this step would be quite similar to for example someone starting a business someone wanting mm -hmm. to create a new program that's right to solve so you are open being sensitive to what is resonating with me what is important what am I thinking is important so mm -hmm. this is where you are starting from and this is what you narrowed into that's really interesting analogy. And I, I think so. I absolutely, uh, if we think about somebody who's starting a business or for example, you know, you're kind of, I guess, trying to uh, think about what's needed, what needs mm -hmm. to be like talked about, what need, yeah. but I think there it might be slightly different a process in the sense that I think you cater to the needs of um, the customers or the, your clients, but in the case of art, I guess it's similar, except that I think it's more self-centered, okay. <laughs> selfish in the sense of like, I want to know what is relevant for me to think through mm -hmm. that might help me live this life more fully. Right. Okay. And so I guess the customer, my main customer or my main client is myself, mm -hmm. uh, which I think might make this project even more uh, sincere, mm -hmm. more um, honest in the sense that, you know, I kind of know who I am and it is important to, for me to go through the process of who, knowing who I am, but uh, let's say that I do a little bit, um, then I know what needs uh, I have. And so yes. then I guess you can compare it to uh, making business. Yeah, that's interesting. Or writing a new project. Or... <laughs> sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so you came into the topic, you, 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 you narrowed it down to, the, to an issue that you were seeing around you, uh, seeing in the news. And then what was, what was next? And then I was uh, starting to think about where am I in this issue? And so I have just to sort of give you a bit of background of uh, where I come from. I was born in South Korea and I lived uh, there until the age of 12, where I was a majority. I am uh, was born as a South Korean in South Korea. And so I am the majority of population. And so when you are a majority and you're born that way, you don't really question your state as majority. I start to think about this question of majority and minority um, and this uh, question of otherness um, only after having uh, immigrated to Canada, to Montreal at the age of 12, where I immediately became the other, um, the minority uh, population as the more recent immigrant and a person of color. And so um, then I started to see what difference there is of between majority and minority. And so having experienced uh, both sides of immigration, of being the majority versus not being the majority, um, you know, when I was thinking about this so-called migration crisis in Europe, um, I wanted to think about the fear that the majority population has to a minority population that comes in to your space um, that we all have as humans and to have some kind of conversation. And I was hoping uh, by presenting this work that this kind of conversation could happen 
um, to the viewers and among the viewers um, and by presenting this work to have a conversation about this. So this is the phase at which you were really reflecting. This is the, the, the second part we were talking about, that the reflection. You were reflecting on yourself. You were reflecting on the world. It sounds like you were reflecting in very a lot of different dimensions and trying to cover a lot of, think through a lot of different dimensions. So is that a correct way you would define it, that you were doing a lot of reflecting? Yes, um, and in this reflection, I think there is an openness and I'm, I'm hoping that the reflection leads to the openness of trying to understand what I do not understand. How do you, um, how, how do, you do that? In your reflecting, uh, how do you try to make sure that you open up to things that you might not have thought of, you might not agree with, you might not, it might not have occurred to you? Mm -hmm. So it was kind of confronting, for example, in this, this example, I was admitting that I also have fear of the other. It really depends on what kind of other, how do I define otherness? You know, it could be you as human, me as human, so then we are equal. But then, you know, there are many, many different ways of differentiating you and me, for example. But mm -hmm. uh, by admitting that I as human being also cannot not have fear of the other, however I define it, is the you know crucial part but that I do have mm -hmm. this fear um admitting it I think is the openness um that comes through reflection it's very interesting because again the parallels I think it's I think it's really important to notice the parallels in the creative process across fields and to and to discuss it more to to have more of this discussion to make it easier for people to create to be creative I like what you said that you, first of all, you really acknowledged and, and leaned into things that were uncomfortable to you, which we will talk a little bit more about later, confronting the uncomfortable. Um, and you didn't ignore it and you accepted all of these different, you reflected and you really honed in and tuned in to a lot of different thoughts and feelings that you had and you didn't just discard it, which I think naturally people do. You have thoughts and certain things you discard, you... Um, but you didn't, you confronted them and you paid even more attention to, to all the different aspects, all the different elements, which in a way is, uh, is what people in, in business or projects would do is brainstorming. Does that describe it correctly? In this case, I would say that it's uh, a stage after brainstorming, for sure, brainstorming, you kind of present all the ideas yes. that are there. And I think it's important to um, look at them quite thoroughly but in my experience a lot of them did get discarded um that does not kind of align with the main priority you acknowledge them and you you said okay will I consciously discard it or not yeah but I think what I was doing in this case of like you know having a conversation between myself is actually a step after brainstorming and having gotten some kind of mm -hmm. uh coherent idea direction direction okay and uh, presenting a counter argument for uh, against that to make this idea more uh, whole, wholesome that so that it's mm -hmm. stronger a position stronger an idea that it's not just one-sided idea or argument so you were always looking for well this is what I think how many other contra opinions can there mm -hmm. be or contra is that what you were doing you were continuously trying to say okay what else could others say about this idea yeah I was I think basically I was presenting a one main counter argument to this fear of the other um, and mm -hmm. to think to think about you know uh, most viewers most mm -hmm. audience would be in the position of embracing migration to embrace migrants and, you know, we could all have a nice party and go home and feel good about, oh, you know, we are all fine with accepting migrants in our countries. And, you know, we are doing so good, pat ourselves on the back and then be done with it. But I wanted to go a bit deeper and think about, do we really end at that point? Or do we actually, can we actually have a conversation with the other side that is having mm -hmm. problems with this migration? Or do we have, do we actually share certain feelings that the other side has? 
And of course, I was looking at it as, you know, kind of pro and con um, against kind of uh, positioning, which is in itself quite simplistic. But um, mm -hmm. to even just to understand my own feelings of being pro and my own feelings of being against made that position more complex uh, rather than mm -hmm. strengthening uh, just one side and being okay with it. And so I think um, if we were to draw a parallel to business building model, <laughs> I think it might be at a stage where, you know, you're, you have uh, a very good idea of what your company will be. And then you present, you, you be really honest about, you know, what it is that may not work. And to kind of address the complexity of the business rather than just serving one very simple needs. And here, I think it might be, there might be certain differences in kind of making artwork, which is a of bit course, different than, yes. you know, making a business. But I think there could be some parallels for sure. But the idea that you're trying to think about all different sides. And I think that's a fantastic thing where, again, it ties into, for example, when there's uh, most recently digital through digital transformation an organization is now introducing a new digital tool and the people coming in designing those training sessions are obviously on one side of the argument which is we love this technology and we think it will solve your problems but most of those training sessions and training programs become very challenging and and sometimes unsuccessful because it doesn't consider all sides. It doesn't consider the people who fear the technology, who actually work in a very different way and may not have a use for your technology. I think what we skipped over is by this point, you have defined your purpose. So you're no longer scanning the horizon, but you've honed in on a purpose. So can you tell me a little bit about the importance of having a purpose for your project? Mm. I mean, you know, it's really important to have a purpose so that you go somewhere uh, in even when you're meandering, uh, even when you're taking a walk, yes. it's really important somehow to have some end point, end goal, whether it be mm -hmm. physical or not. Um, and so being open does not necessarily just mean whatever. I think this is the, the key. I think we have often the feeling that when we are, uh, opening ourselves up we are opening uh, without any direction but I think it's really key to have direction but then also be open to that direction changing uh, but to setting a goal for me it often presents itself as a key question and so that mm -hmm. key question I go towards it uh, by making work um, in the studio by researching thinking and you know I may find an answer and that might, um, or a subsequent question that might lead me to take another step in my life and in my creative process. But I think it's important to have that kind of goal, um, but also being open to that goal shifting to a direction that may be even more exciting than it used to be. Absolutely, definitely. So, uh, so we see that your your goal and your specific topic was narrowed down in this in mm -hmm. this artwork. Can you talk a little bit about connecting sources? So you're reflecting on all different sides, you're reflecting on your own thoughts and feelings, and but now connecting sources, how, what do you mean by that? And what do you do in that? What happened? And so, you know, I think this came up um, as uh, I was describing how I came up with this project. And, you know, uh, it's, it's interesting that, uh, you know, to kind of break this processes down to steps, which, you know, uh, which happens more organically. It's not so clear yeah, when you're going exactly. through it. Yes, and so absolutely. In terms of connecting yeah. sources, I can um, give you a few examples of what I did. And so when I was given this, uh, when I was presented with this invitation, uh, I struggled for quite a while, not really knowing what to do. And, um, you know, number of weeks agonizing what would be the best uh, work to think about, to produce and to present. Um, and in the process, I, you know, I just go about, you know, my day uh, regularly. 
um, I go to studio and like produce nothing, be like really frustrated by the whole process. And then, you know, go and see uh, some shows or visit some places, talk to friends and so on, just, you know, regular life. And in the process, what came to me was, yeah, the news about um, so, so-called migration crisis, um, different news footages. Um, Another thing that I did was to listen to a podcast just like this, I guess. But this was way back when, in 2014, I guess, uh, when there's this Korean author that I used to really like uh, listening to him just reading books. Uh, his name is Kim Young-ha. And um, at that moment, he was reading uh, this book called La Best by uh, Albert Camus. And, you know, it kind of struck me, it kind of stayed in my mind. Another thing that I did uh, during that process of agonizing <laughs> was visit uh, some churches. Um, well, I, I happened to just visit Vicenza because I was around there. And, you know, I visited a few churches because it's very well known for um, Andrea Palladio's um, buildings. I went into one of the churches that was beautiful, but, you know, it's one building that I imagined being full of decoration inside but when I went in it was all very white except for the little chapels on the sides all the ceiling was white um, so that kind of struck me as a little odd but as I exited the church I saw a little piece of fresco that was on top of the doorway and I asked the church attendant like what's up with that like you know what is that and he goes oh, you know, this church used to be used as a quarantine center during the plague. Um, it happened so quickly that we painted the whole church with this um, uh, white paint called calce, uh, uh, which basically is white paint that has antimicrobial uh, property. And me being a painter and being very interested in the materiality of paint and the meaning of paint, I was fascinated by this idea of paint being able to be antimicrobial. And so he said that they hmm. painted it often, many times, many layers over because people would be there being, you know, quarantined for plague. And that they were unable to recover all the frescoes that were painted on the ceiling, but they, you know, recovered one little piece that was on top of the doorway. So that kind of struck me as kind of weird. And it stayed in my mind. And then another thing that stayed my mind was the movie, The Birds, that I happened to rewatch because of like a Facebook post that a friend of mine had put. It was like an image of, the, of Melanie, the, uh, the main actor, yeah, Hitchcock's horror movie, The Birds. And it was a beautiful scene. And so I'm like, oh, let me rewatch. And, you know, because I was like, just really totally lost and frustrated. So I rewatched this movie. And then I realized how similar the attitudes of different characters in that movie is to our societal reaction to migration. Um, so they're, you know, this kind of irrational person who's like very emotional and uh, panicking hysterically. There's like a scientist who's trying to analyze and categorize what's, you know, and then there's like strategist who's trying to strategize the best way to, you know, uh, survive this attack, so-called attack, and so on. And, you know, all these um, elements were so similar. So that kind of really struck me. But this, I think, happens because it, those elements struck uh, stuck in my head because I think I had a direction of like what I wanted to think about what I wanted to talk about and so these elements kind of mm -hmm. added on piled on to form this project called don't they ever stop migrating which is basically a white box onto which there are these brushstrokes that are painted in ink many 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 brushstrokes that are overlapping that um, move that kind of feels like they're moving around in different groupings and with a sound piece that was drawn from the movie 10 lines from the and again mm -hmm. the video and the pictures are mm -hmm. on your website because again this is definitely something that needs to be experienced mm -hmm. and, and in Venice it was a room That's that you right. went into to experience the mm -hmm. surround you uh, with the sound and being surrounded so, by the image. Yeah. So what's in, important is like this individuals that form a group that 
uh, mm-hmm. when it surpasses certain threshold, then it could feel threatening is what, what was very important mm-hmm. in that work. Um, okay. Just as do I um, identify myself as one of the brushstrokes or do I identify myself as somebody who's looking at the arrival of these brushstrokes is, um, you know, these two mm-hmm. positions that I was kind of talking about in, uh, you know, having a conversation between myself. Yeah. Interesting. Very, very interesting how this comes together. It's fascinating because as you said, you narrowed it down, you were open to what you were experiencing, what you were reading, seeing to narrow down a topic that resonated with you. And once you narrowed and defined a direction for what you are doing, you still didn't know what this was going to look like. You just narrowed down on, on, mm-hmm. on a topic. And, um, and then you having that direction, you're still very open to everything you're experiencing and you're experiencing being a tourist, visiting a church, asking questions, uh, watching a movie simply because a friend of yours, you know, it looked like it might be an interesting movie to rewatch without actually the purpose of it attaching to this project. But because you were open, because you had a direction, you started really picking up ideas from from a lot of different Something sources. really interesting happens once you narrow, narrow your direction down because everything that you're looking at has something to do with your thinking. Like, you know, once you have it yes. narrowed down, like anything, like I would be looking at like a pen and it would like, you know, have some kind of resonance to like my idea. So then um, I think my gaze completely shifts from the first openness to after having defined the direction. And I'm wondering also, because you said everything starts pulling towards this project because you mm-hmm. define the purpose. But I wonder also, it's not just the fact that you defined the purpose of your project and the direction, but also it's the fact that I think that you thought about it from so many different angles in so many different ways. You've reflected on it in, in such a deep way that that's when it starts bringing, you didn't just say this is the topic, you really went deeply into it and, 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 and struggled with it and thought about it and turned it around and twisted it upside down. And having done that with the topic, then you create the atmosphere for you to be able to pull in sources mm-hmm. of influence and, and to see uh, relevance of this topic in so mm-hmm. many different then places. Then everything becomes you agree relevant. With that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you start seeing the minute you know, the, the, the details, you start seeing the details in what you're experiencing around you because you have really invested deeply into this topic. You don't know yet what this artwork's going to look like, but the topic you've certainly dealt with a lot. So then therefore you can start seeing details in other aspects of the world that becomes relevant. Yes, absolutely. You know? And yeah. And, you know, I must say also, I'd like to add that, um, everything kind of becomes quite relevant um, conceptually, but at the same time, I'm working in the studio and making experiments visually Mm -hmm. to see like what would be the best way to visualize this uh, feeling, this idea. And of course, I also go through many, many uh, bad visualization or making uh, work. Um, And then at some point it kind of sticks. Um, There are, uh, some motifs that I would take that make sense uh, that it it's more of a feeling that it kind of gels like together um, and I think it comes after certain amount of uh, searching um, and so this mm-hmm. happens at concurrently this idea of like reflecting but also mm-hmm. the making in the studio happens concurrently and with the making you say you discard a lot of ideas and you're doing mm-hmm. a lot of testing going into that process, you are quite aware and comfortable with the fact that you will have to go through a lot of different discarded material before you get to Mm -hmm. something you like. Is that something that do you think, does that help you in that process by knowing that you will have to go through a lot of 
tests that will never mm, be used. I mean, you know, I think I just accept it as a fact that I'll have many, many uh, rejects as I make work. Sometimes mm. I get lucky in some projects, it kind of just comes and, you know, then I'm like super happy. But um, most cases, but that's no, not what you're expecting. In, you're not setting that's up right. yourself in for that. In most cases, you know, I go through many, many different uh, iterations of thinking through and uh, making images or works that make sense, that gels. And sometimes images even inform how I think. And so it's kind of a having even, again, a conversation between sort of the studio practice and the more kind of reflection and research um, that kind of feed right. uh, each other. And mm, yeah. Did you feel quite as comfortable with this at the beginning of your career when you were going through these testing phases? Mm. Or is that something mm. that you learned that actually you will have to discard a lot of information? Because mm. I think that's something that people struggle with mm. when they say, for example, the somewhat overused phrase of uh, you fail fast, you create, you create, you create, knowing that things won't, weren't, mm -hmm. won't work out. Is that something that you struggled with early on in your That's a career? really good question. You know, I haven't thought about this uh, in this way uh, about my early career before. But now that, you know, the, the little few minutes that I had to think through <laughs> as you're talking um, was I think I was more um less open to meandering and accepting different failed stages in the beginning of my career mm -hmm. i think i was more mm -hmm. uh i knew more i think it was more certain um i knew more with more mm -hmm. certainty what it was going to look like and i felt a little bit more comfortable knowing that but I think mm -hmm. after um, the 20 years of practice, I find that not being okay with not knowing what it will be and mm -hmm. sort of meandering with some direction in the process leads to uh, projects that are more wholesome, that are more satisfactory, that is more useful for me uh, to understand myself, which is the larger goal of my creative practice. And so even mm -hmm. though I think I had many projects when I was in uh, early career that were clearer, I think it actually, I think it was clearer. Uh, the What it was saying was clearer, perhaps a little bit less complex uh, but now I, I think I'm more in, interested in exploring the complexities around uh, an idea or um, yeah, concept. Right. Interesting. So this idea of getting comfortable with mm. the uncomfortable, uh, you've touched on it in several in several different aspects. And of course, it, it, it applies to several different aspects of the process. But tell me about this idea of becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable. Why is this important? How have you achieved that in, mm. in certain ways? I, I think I came to think that it's very boring to know everything, you know, and that, <laughs> you know, I know what I know and I don't have to re-know what I know. And so not going into venturing out to the field of the unknown is actually more exciting and to learning and to thinking about new things is more exciting than just repeating myself and I think what is key one of the things that are key I think for creative people is to have a condition an environment where you can comfortably be okay with uncertainty in that I think it's important to have a life situation where it's if everything in your life is unknown and everything is um you know, shaking and precarious. I think that makes, at least me, a bit more reluctant to be more adventurous in, in my creative process. It was, it's important for me, at least, to have a life that is stable so that I can be very adventurous mm -hmm. in the creative process. 
um, you know, this idea of this romanticized idea of, you know, artists who, um, who uh, have to struggle in life for, you know, for the artwork to be uh, whatever. I think it's um, not necessarily true in some cases, at least in my case. Um, so I think having a condition where certain parts of your life is stable so that you feel okay if things, um, you feel good about having an adventure into the unknown conceptually in your artwork, taking um, chances in making different kinds of work. Um, I think that sort of thing is important. So that's what I mean by uh, creating a condition. Mm -hmm. And I guess what's, you make a really important point of recognizing how, you, again, you reflected on what condition do I need so that I can be adventurous, but also be comfortable mm -hmm. with the uncomfortable. You, you fully understand that in order to be a, a creative and in order to, to create interesting work, you need, you, you won't be able to know that from the beginning what that is. So you will have to have some uh, testing and failing and, and trying and be comfortable with that uncomfortable feeling of not knowing how this will work out. But then you also say, well, what conditions do I need so that I can do that? Mm -hmm. Which I think is so important for individuals, for teams, for workplaces uh, to, to have that kind of reflection and understanding that there's some level of testing and trying that will need to happen. So what kind of conditions mm -hmm. can we create to make mm -hmm. that possible? Um, that's a really important, yeah, I like the way that you describe that, that you re you've reflected on it and you know what you need. Um, and someone else mm -hmm. may need something else. But the important thing is that you recognize that that uncomfortable feeling of testing and not knowing is is due course to be, as you said, you create more mm -hmm. interesting work. I think it's a fine balance, but mm -hmm. you know, I think everyone finds their own kind of balance to be, yeah, yeah. Creating. Interesting. And so how do you help your students? You have a an approach to teaching. Uh, so you're teaching at university, you're, you're teaching art students, you have an approach that not only focuses on their art, but you, you said that you also focus on their, their creative process. So, I mean, of course, that's an entire conversation on its own, but maybe can you give a little bit of an insight on what are some of the important things that you do in order to help them understand their own process so in uh in studio so i teach practice i i teach studio um and you know it's i think it there's a huge debate as to like is it possible to teach someone to become an artist you know and that's like of course also a whole other conversation and there's a whole field that talks about it but um what i try to do is to kind of see the students as um uh junior of myself and so when they so they usually work in particularly in more advanced undergraduate years or in graduate studies they have their own projects there they have their own um, thematics their own interests that they want to explore and deal with and so what I can uh, offer to them and what I try to is uh, trying to go through that process, uh, you know, and to let them know that the next step is there and that, you know, so I would kind of walk through, I guess, not very dissimilar from what we just kind of talked about, you know, I would say, you know, you will have this period when it's like dark, be okay with it, but mm -hmm. go with your um, gut instinct of the uh, element that draws you the most that you think has a lot of, um, miles to explore um, and then mm -hmm. you know uh, telling letting them know how to explore what sources that they could go to um, what can they do to which what can they read what can they look what can they think about what other artworks can they look at um, and then think about strategies and then you know also experimenting in the studio is extremely important and I would actually respond to uh, certain experiments that happen in the studio that you know I would probably respond very differently from another artist or another professor or the student themselves um, and then you know they can gather up 
everything and then they make their own decision. And I think one of the things that is very important um, that I that that I, I find important to do is to give confidence to the student that they can do the next step that they don't know yet. Um, and so kind of imbuing mm-hmm. with this confidence um, is one of the things I do. So like I find myself like as a cheerleader, you know, like I'm like, you can do it, you know, like and there's and also to <laughs> let them know that there's really it's not, it's okay to fail. It's just a painting, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's, it's Mm -hmm. also because they're in the, in, in university, it's a very safe environment where they can really experiment. So I push them to experiment to the maximum that they can of their ability. And then Mm -hmm. letting them know that it's okay to fail because it is really okay. Um, to fail within the academic mm-hmm. environment um, because they can try again and then again. And so um, I think, you know, pushing them to experiment um, is something that um, I do. And I basically walk through the creative process with them, but one step a little bit ahead mm-hmm. so that, that they know that if they, that they're not just putting their foot in the void and that there is something there, you know? Mm. Yeah. I love that. I love that, that you're discussing the creative process with them so that they don't feel like they're putting their foot in the void, which is, I think so often uh, anyone doing anything new, it often feels like you're putting your foot in the void and you're the only one who's ever put your Mm. foot in the void and having someone there to talk you through that and tell you what the next phase will likely look like for you because they also have experienced this. I think it's just so such an important part of education and learning. And it's fantastic listening to you and how you how you help your students, bring helping them also pointing them to sources, pointing them to to tips, um, and also just dis- discussing what the process itself looks like and and being a cheerleader, <laughs> which is so great. Uh, very interesting. Well, thank you for sharing that. Wow, this was fascinating. And, and I really enjoyed hearing from an artist's perspective, how you work through an art piece and, and using one of your fantastic pieces of art as an example of how that came about. Um, but for anybody who would like to see your art, of course, we said that it's on your website, but it does need to be experienced. What are some opportunities coming up for people to see your art? Um, I have an exhibition coming up in Ottawa um, in September at uh, RCA, it's at 50 Sussex um, Street, Um, and another one at Open Space in Victoria, BC, um, opening in August. Mm -hmm. Um, A couple of places have my artist book in their collection, which I think is very open for um, anybody to go in and ask to to see it. Um, One is at the AGO Library. And one is at Confederation Center for the Arts in PI. And of course, there's the website, but you know, um, best to be experienced in person for sure. Fantastic. Well, Ginny, thank you so much for your time and to talk about the creative process from something that I'm definitely not very familiar with, which is how visual arts is created. So this was fantastic and I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Thank you.